Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you all. If you have not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome. If you could grab a Bible, we're going to go into Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34 in just a moment. Now, um, I've shared a little bit this before. I'll, I'll say it again though for context of what we're going to talk about today. During the, uh, the lockdown, um, the pandemic and all the stuff that was going on, I found it uh, particularly difficult in terms of with the church and the fact that we were sort of meeting here on a Sunday, then lockdown comes in and everything changed. We have to shift our entire system over to online. We're now not being able to meet. We can't do small groups. We can't do big meetings. We can't do anything like that. And over a period of however long, 18 months, that was an extremely stressful time to try and lead uh, a company of people through that. Lots of needs came out, lots of things came up, but also took in a toll on me as the leader of the church um, to the point where um, my wife had to have a chat with me about actually saying, you, the person you've become isn't particularly pleasant, Stuart, which I found very hard to believe because of my sunny disposition. And so she sat down to me and said, one of the things that kind of has is evidence of this is the fact that your temper has got way shorter. You're a lot less patient than you were, and you're impatient with her, with, the, with my children, and just generally. Um, and so as a result of that, I went and, got, went and spent, had some sessions speaking to someone about it, just trying to process everything that was gone through, and I found it really helpful. And so I feel like um, kind of as a result of that, I've learned something about myself. I learned about some coping strategies. I've just learned and grown through that. And so this morning, when we're going to look about at the patience of God, I thought, I made it. I am the right person to speak about this because of all that God has done with me. And then this week happened. I got a phone call at the beginning of the week, basically saying from uh, the Lettings Company, we get who hired the school from, saying, problems with the school and the work they're having on the building, can you change your entire plans and move your meetings earlier to make everything happen? To which you're like, what? We're here every Sunday, we know what we're doing, we've got a kind of an arrangement with the school, but they're actually, no, no, they're moving the goalposts. So initially it was like, what do we do? All right, we'll just shift everything forward. We had to communicate with them, we had to communicate with the setup team, kids team, worship team. Can you make it work in a shorter period of time? That's fine, we have to be out of here by 12.30, um, because the workmen are coming in to do it. And then I got a phone call this morning. Guess what? There are men on site doing it now. They're not meant to be here till 12.30. So I felt my patience getting shorter and shorter. And I felt myself getting angrier and angrier. And then we also got a call that the people who meant to open up for us weren't here on time. And it just escalated. And I felt the Lord was saying, you know, you know, you know that whole thing about being patient? Just checking. And so... What we're going to be looking at today is the next part of our series on his name, and we're looking at uh, focusing on one verse, which is Exodus 34, verse 6, where the Lord reveals his name to Moses. Moses has led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, uh, and they've gone to the mountain of the Lord, and as part of that process, the glory of the Lord has descended on the mountain. Moses has gone up into that, and he asked God to reveal his name to him, and in doing so, God 
reveals his name to him, but actually by doing that, he reveals the characteristics. And what we're doing is we are camping out in this verse for a few weeks. We've done a few so far. We're going to do a couple more as we roll through the summer to look at what this is about the name of God. And we've got a passage which we've been reading every week, which I'm just going to we'll throw up on the slide and let's just read it together to frame what we're doing. So we've done this a few times. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say one, two, three. And then you all in big, loud voices are going to read out the Bible verses for us today. And it's just what we see on the screen here. So ready? One, two, three, go. Okay, so we've looked at that section each week. The first week, we focused on the whole thing, so we kind of put it in context. We look at verse 5 and 7, and then we focused down on verse 6, and we've looked at God being merciful. That was the first one, and we looked at, this was significant because it was, hot, it was first in order, so there was a significance to that. We found out this was a feeling word. It was derived from the Hebrew word for womb, and it was God's heart towards his people as a parent towards a child and we spent some time looking at that and the mercy of God is he's committed to his children he loves them he is deeply for them and that then motivates his actions so we've seen merciful the next one was he is gracious this is more of an action word so we've got his feeling his action we found out that mercy uh, merciful and gracious often come together they're coupled as we read um, around our bible and this is God's unmerited favor towards his people and uh, the, we, we saw that this word is always used from someone in higher status or higher position being used towards someone in lower position. So you can be gracious to someone. Uh, we see it among people. They're out for grace. But when it's God, he is of the highest. He is the highest of high. And he is high above. And he has graciously acted towards us. And we focused on the, the section in Ephesians 2 um, to look at that. We are an undeserving and an ill-deserving people. But God has shown us unmerited favor. And now we're on to number three. In the list, slow to anger. All right. Big idea. The Lord is patient with us so that we will turn to him. The Lord is patient with us so we will turn to him. Let's have a look at it. First thing is the word. The word. Um, it's slow to anger. I looked up in many translations. Most of them do slow to anger. If you've got an older translation, often it's translated as long-suffering. But this idea is slow to anger. The literal meaning of the phrase is long of nose. Long of nose. So we'll have a little look at what that actually means. And so in the Hebrew, if you read it, if you knew Hebrew, which I don't, but scholars tell me, if you read it, it would literally say, is merciful, gracious, and long of nose. <laughs> what? God's got a big nose? God doesn't have a nose. Imagery and all sorts. So what does this mean? Well, long of nose... Um, uh, is a, sorry, a, a common Hebrew phrase to become angry is that, that your nose becomes hot. In English, I try to think of some that we might have that don't necessarily mean what it says, but it's the same idea. So if someone blew their stack or flipped their lid, we would know what they meant, 
even though their lid isn't flipping because they don't have a lid. But we know someone flipped their lid, you're like, oh, they're very cross, or they blew their stack. They're, they're phrases that mean something to me from my childhood. You may have other ones. But for Hebrew, is it was their nose became hot, means they are angry. And so we see this in Genesis chapter 39 with Potiphar and Joseph. Potiphar was the head of the royal guard in the palace. Joseph uh, was one of his slaves. And Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual assault. And it says that Potiphar, when he heard the news, he says his anger was kindled, it says in verse 19, which literally means his nose burned. That's actually what it says in, in the Hebrew. We have it translated, his anger was kindled to help us. Later, um, 1 Samuel 17, we have Eliab, who is the brother of David, King David. David was one of many brothers. Eliab was the oldest one. And in the instant when Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel, and Eliab is one of the soldiers uh, in the army, and they're all afraid because Goliath is huge, uh, and he's going to beat them all up, kill them. And David comes along and says, why is no one fighting Goliath? Well, because he, um, he's, he's shouting against the armies of the Lord. And it says Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Literally, his nose was hot. His nose was hot. And this phrase, your nose gets hot, meaning you're angry, can you identify with that? If people get angry and you really feel get angry, what happens to your face usually? You can feel the heat. Some people actually go red. You can see it. And so the nose getting hot means you've really boiled up and your nose is burning, which means you are angry. So now, when, we, when the Lord is described as someone who is long of nose, can you see what the author was saying? It takes a long time for God to get angry, for his nose to burn, because his nose is long. He is someone who is, flip it the other way, he is someone who is patient. And this is contrasted with, firstly, humans, because we can fly off the handle. There's another phrase, isn't it? At the slightest thing. We can have a hair trigger. Things that are relatively speaking small, if you look at them objectively, can cause us to do our nut quickly. And also, if we take it into the context of the ancient Near East, gods at that time, we've looked at this concept, gods were fickle creatures who needed to be appeased by the worship and sacrifice of their followers. And so by God being merciful and gracious, we've seen that contrast and complete with them, but now he is slow to anger, which means he stands completely a part of them who were uh, vindictive and fickle. Often people see God as a headmaster in the sky waiting to strike you when you get things wrong, and that is not the case. He is the very opposite of having a short temper. He is patient. In fact, he is exceedingly patient. So this is what that word means. He is long of nose which means God is patient. But because we're talking about him being slow to anger, we need to talk about God's anger as well as him being slow to it. So we'll deal with anger first. So number two, God's anger. It says he is slow to anger. And this makes people really uncomfortable, the idea of an angry God, of God being anger, angry. And often Bible verses are quoted out of context, which give a distorted view of God. And God does get angry. That's the reality. But it's not like human anger, which is often petty, vindictive, vengeful. It's born out of pain or pride um, that has been wounded. And this is not the same for God. God's anger, interestingly, is the third on the list. What already comes? Merciful and gracious. So we've set the scene of who he is. 
and he is a loving parent who shows unmerited favor towards his children. But so when God is angry, it is an expression of his justice and righteousness and holiness. It is a, uh, he seeks to right wrongs and punish those who are guilty of their crimes. And these are things that we're completely familiar with today. These aren't things that are kind of like are totally out of, out of sort. When we watch news um, footage and we see things happening on the news that are horrific and wrong, crimes being committed, wars being started, people cheating and lying who are in public office, there is something in us that says this is not right. This should be dealt with. We see it on a personal level where someone we love someone we know, a member of our family, is ill-treated by someone. What's our response? Our response of love is, that's not right. We've got to do something about it. We need to act, and we can get cross about this. And there's nothing unusual about that. In fact, if you didn't react like that, then we think there's something wrong with you. And so when we have a loving God who is gracious and merciful, and someone does something to his children or from the way they act, it would be right for him to respond, um, to do something about it. And we have some incidents in the book of Exodus, which we're camped out in, that are just worth looking at. Um, Exodus chapter 4, if you want to go and have a look at this, um, is the first incident where God's anger is mentioned in the entire Bible, interestingly. 54 chapters in, we finally get round to it. People think it's there all over the place. Not through Genesis, but we find it in Exodus and it says he was cross, he was angry. Who was he angry with? Moses. He was angry with Moses. Why was he angry with Moses? Well, if you delve down into it, Moses was called by God, and Moses knew this to deliver God's people because they were in slavery. What were they in slavery? They were in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. They'd been there for hundreds of years. Pharaoh had set in place a systematic murder of their children. We read about that in the book of Exodus. He had treated them like slaves. They were treated appallingly. And God had raised up a deliverance and says, you go, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He has an encounter with God at the burning bush. Wow. Not many people get that, like an up-close personal encounter with God. And God says, you ought to go, tell uh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What What does Moses do? If you've read it, The the, the commentators tell me five times Moses tried to get out of it and make excuses. Five times. He said, first of all, he said, he goes, who am I? Who am I to you to send me? You know, I'm not good enough. You can't send me. Then he says, who are you to send me? To God in the burning bush. Then he says, they aren't going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. When you send me to them, they're not going to believe me. Then he says, I'm not eloquent. I haven't, I'm, not, I'm not good at speaking. I can't, I can't persuade people. Then he finally says, send someone else. And then it says, God's anger was kindled. And you think, too blooming right. It's people are in slavery. You say, I'm sending you to get them out. They're being treated horrifically. There's systematic murder going on there. Go get them out. And Moses is making all these excuses And finally, God says, right, I'm getting cross now. How many of you give your kids five chances? (laughs) Go and clean your teeth. By the second one, the tone, the octaves are going up. Go and clean. Anyway, that's just me. That's just me. I'm sure you're not like that. Sure you're not like that. Okay, what's next? Oh, I've missed one out. What's the next one? Oh, the next one, Exodus chapter 15. 
Uh, we have a song here that Moses and the people of God sing at the destruction of Pharaoh's army, and in it they cite the anger of the Lord. Now just think about that. They cite the anger of the Lord. Why? Pharaoh's army were destroyed when? When they went through the sea and the sea came crashing about that. Why would that be a point of God's anger? Well, he's a tyrannical ruler who's been abusing God's people for hundreds of years. God then says, let them go. He says, no, 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 okay. So after 10 plagues, he finally says, you can go. And then when they do go, what happens? Get the army together. We're going to go and kill them. And even then they go through the sea, they just, they will not. And God's saying, just let them go. And eventually they don't, they, they reap their just rewards. And it's, a, it's exciting, the Lord's anger is finally, it's like, I've given you all these chances. Game's over now. And then the final one, Exodus chapter 32, the golden calf incident. The golden calf incident, which we've mentioned a couple of times. And this takes place literally just before our passage, where the Lord has brought the people out of slavery. He saved them. Pharaoh, when they couldn't save themselves, he's redeemed them, he's revealed himself to them, he says, you will be my people, I will be your God, you are my treasured possession. He's entered into a covenant relationship with them, and the people have said yes, he's given them his laws of ten commandments, he's doing all that sort of thing, and then while Moses is up on the mountain, effectively, during the honeymoon, they go and commit spiritual adultery by worshipping this golden calf. And it says the Lord's anger was kindled against them. Of course he was. He's a, this, is, this is his bride, his beloved, that he has saved, he has redeemed, he has drawn himself, he has revealed himself more than any other nation on the earth. I've picked you, I love you, I'm for you, I've chosen you. And what do they do? Stuff you, they say, we're going to go and worship someone else. And so there's the reality that actually Lord's anger is there, but it's always in a context, it's always for a reason. The next thing, the Lord's patient because he is slow to anger. And this is a distinct contrast to the other so-called gods who are worshipped at the time, petty, fickle, who needed appeasement. The Lord is patient with his people. And we see this throughout the history of the people of God. And it is born out of his merciful and gracious character. And we see God time and time and time again giving his people opportunity to turn to him, to call back to him, come back to him. And he sends uh, leaders, he sends prophets, he sends those who would call himself. If you read ahead just a little bit in the history of the people of God, they enter the promised land, which God had promised them, they settle in the promised land. Under Joshua, we've looked at that as a church. Then you get the book of Judges. The book of Judges is just a cycle of the people of God messing up and then God saving them. By saying, and he's warned them, he said, you keep my laws keep my covenant, you'll be fine, I'll look after you. They reject God, they go after foreign gods and then outside armies come and oppress them and then God raises up a leader who saves Israel. And they're like, yes, we love the Lord and then guess what happens? Same thing happens again and again and again. You see it throughout the book of Judges. After the book of Judges, we get into the rise of the kingdom where the people of God say to God, we want a king like everyone else. And God's like, actually, but I'm your king. And they say, stuff you, God. We want a king. So the Lord gives them a king. And they have Saul, who's their king, who then messes up. And then we have David, who becomes their king, who eventually fails. And then we have Solomon, who becomes their king. And they have the highest pinnacle of their kind of, of, of a nation, the golden age, who and he eventually fails as well. And then we have the split of the kingdom. We looked at this when we did Elijah at the beginning of about almost a year ago now. 
And actually, we've got the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And God, again and again, he sends prophets to them saying, come, turn to me, repent of your sin. Come to me. I love you. I'm for you. I want you. And again, they reject him over and over and over. And occasionally, we have moments of kind of um, good kings. I heard someone on the other day, we've seen that the, the northern kingdom of Israel was just bad. They failed and failed and failed. But the southern kingdom of Judah occasionally had good-ish kings. We did so well, and they kind of, uh, but they were kind of trying to stop the rot, but eventually they fall, and the kingdoms are destroyed. The northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed. The southern kingdom of Judah is destroyed, and the exiles are sent in, into Babylon, and that's where they spend their time. But even there in Babylon, God is saying, you're my people. I will restore you, and so they return to Jerusalem under Nehemiah and Ezra, and the, the temple is still being rebuilt um, and they're trying to re-establish what's happening there. But even there, at the end of Nehemiah, I was talking to a, another church leader just this week who was he preached through Nehemiah, and he said, it's really exciting. And he said, yeah, but at the end of the book, Nehemiah says, you still suck. You still can't do it. You're still failing. You're still not on, choosing to honor God. And that's how it ends. But there's a promise of a Messiah to one who will come, who will change it. But the people of God are constantly be called by God, come back to me, come back to me. His merciful and gracious character is there. He is being patient with them time and time again. And then we move forward into our New Testament and we see Jesus, who is God the Son. He is the complete, uh, perfect revelation of this God we find revealed in Exodus. And we find Jesus himself is one who, again, is slow to anger. He he comes preaching the message, and the basic message of Jesus isn't love, as so many people say. Jesus says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. That's what it is. And Jesus, time and time again, he proclaims this message, he demonstrates the kingdom, and he is up against opposition and apathy and stupidity over and over again. We see it with his disciples. I love the disciples because I would fit right in. We've got James and John, the sons of thunder, who when a village reject Jesus, their response is, let's call down fire from heaven to burn them up. Can you imagine Jesus like, no, 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 James, no, John, we're not going to do that. That's not what happened. But they're like, yeah, we can do that. Let's destroy them. And Jesus says, no. Then you've got Peter, great Peter, the leader of the disciples who's trying to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. Jesus is very clear, the Son of Man must die. That's, what, that's, that's why I've come. That's the mission that fulfills all the prophets. That's everything that's come before. That's where I'm going. And Peter's saying, took him aside. He said he took him aside and he tried to tell him off. He's going, Lord, look, can you imagine that? Lord, Lord, you're not going to the cross. We're not doing it. That's, that's not the way it's going to happen. It's not the way it's going to happen. And Jesus is just like dealing uh, with that with him. And then he's got those disciples often showed. He says to them, little, uh, you have little faith. You're not getting it. You're not grasping it. You're not doing it. He's got the crowds who followed him around, thousands of people. In our day and age, we, think we consider that success. We consider that success. This is what you've got all these people coming to listen to you. Our modern equivalent might be oodles of followers on your social media accounts. But they, he teaches them, and they just, they're just they only after the food. They're only after the signs and the wonders. As soon as he starts teaching the truth, many of them leave him, and he's left. You've got the religious leaders, those who should know the best, those ones who were waiting for the Messiah, who were leading the way. And what do they do with Jesus? 
They're constantly trying to attack him and trip him up and undermine him and set verbal traps for him and say, let's do this, and opposition. And eventually they're plotting to kill him. And Jesus, even himself, when he comes to the city of Jerusalem, the place where the presence of God dwelt in the temple, and Jesus looks at them and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would gather your, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Yet you're not willing. And Jesus is saying, I'm here for you. I want you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to care for you. I'm the God who's come to his people. And they just reject him. They just reject him. Even at the end of his life, when his closest followers, when it all goes, you know, belly up at the end, what do all the 12 do? They, well, one of them betrays him, and the other 11, you think, you can do better, guys. No, one of them brings a sword, starts hacking people's ears off. Then they all leg it. God is so patient and gracious and merciful with his people, and Jesus exemplarily shows it. Yeah, he also got angry. We also see that. Jesus, meek and mild, nothing. He pronounced woes over the religious leaders because they were leading God's people away from God. He said judgment is coming to him. He pronounced judgment over the city of Jerusalem itself, saying if you continue to reject me, reject God, something terrible is going to happen to you. And we find out extra biblically, 70 AD, what happened to Jerusalem. It was leveled by the Romans, the temple, everything was completely destroyed and has never been rebuilt. God was saying, he's saying, it's coming, repent, turn to me. Then we have the classic one with Jesus clearing the temple, Mark 11, at the end of his ministry. Jesus has been to the temple every year for his life. He's a faithful Jew, they'd have gone for the festivals. We read other accounts where he's going there, he's there, particularly in John, he's there for festivals. And then finally at the end, he's had enough of these money changers who are fleecing the people of God, fleecing worshippers who've travelled a long way to make their sacrifices to God to worship her, and they won't uh, let them do it easily. They, they try and con them out of money, and he says he's got, had enough, had enough, and he clears them out, forcefully removes them from the temple courts, but they cannot do that anymore. He says, my house will be a house of prayer. And we see it ultimately summed up in the cross, the patience of God on that that Jesus himself being deserted, being falsely accused on these trumped-up charges, being paraded from here to there, to back again, to actually be ultimately punished, to be beaten and then crucified. He was patient in suffering. And ultimately, he bore the wrath of God for every sin that was committed. He took that wrath so that those who repent return to him do not have to he bore that righteous judgment poured out on mankind so that we could respond in faith to him and so this finally then brings us to us what does this mean for us here and now what does it mean how are we going to respond to God's merciful and gracious character who is slow to anger well, the first thing is, let's read 1 Peter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should be reach repentance. The reality is, if you're not a believer here, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's coming. 
it's coming. That righteous wrath of God is coming to punish the guilty. Not a vindictive, petty, human response to our wounded pride. This is God's righteous judgment on those who are guilty. Those who are guilty. And God is saying, there is time to do something about it. God is patient. He is exceedingly patient. He is, however, not endlessly patient because there will come a point when he will deal with sin. And if you haven't responded to that, you need to do that. You need to know that. I cannot with integrity talk about this without telling you that and saying, repent of your sin. Come to him. Put your faith and trust in him. Trust in Christ and what he's done for you. What about if you are a Christian here? Do you understand that God has been patient with you? Think about your own salvation story. Think about the times that you rejected him, that you ignored him, that you belittled him, that you, you, just, you actively went against what you knew was right. Do you understand that was the patience of God with you, showing mercy and grace to you, being slow to anger? Remember the passage we looked at last week, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. I asked you to have spend, maybe spend a week thinking and praying about this. It described us hideously, didn't it? We were, by, we were rebels, we were transgressors, we were objects of wrath. Yet, it says, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And actually, that's the patience of God that has been shown to us. Aren't you grateful that God is slow to anger? Because if he wasn't, you wouldn't be here. You'd be done. You'd be done. Isn't it wonderful that God is long of nose? Long of nose. And so we have to firstly understand that, that God is patient with us, has been patient with us, will continue to be patient with us. And we read what it says in James 1.19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So once we've understood the patience of God in our life, we then need to then in turn show that to others. That's our response. Our response is worship to God for what he's done in us, how he's shown it, and then show it to one another. Show it to one another. And this can probably be the hardest thing because just look around. They can be annoying sometimes, can't they? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> can't they? You're all thinking about that person right now, aren't you? And those are the people we are to show patience and grace and mercy to. And the reality is this idea of being <clears throat> slow to anger is something that we receive from God, we see in God, we accept it. But actually we as a church are then to show it towards others. We are to show, we are to be slow to anger with others. We are to give them the benefit of the doubt. We are to show gracious favor to them. We are to be merciful towards them we are to exhibit it is one of the things that will mark us out as different to those around us how we treat and we care and we love those around us how we are merciful to it it is not acceptable 
under any circumstances that we get into a position where we strop out with someone uh, in the family and we refuse to deal with it. We strop off, some people strop off and leave and go, oh, we'll go and join somewhere else as if it's not going to happen somewhere else. Or we just maintain that distance. Well, I'm not going to talk to them. I'll avoid them. I'll join a different group, life group. I'll join a different serving team so I don't have to be around them. God has been patient with us, so we are to be patient with others. We are to show mercy and grace to others. We are to love and care for one another. And we are to show that characteristic of God. It says we are to be quick to hear. That means we listen with our ears, slow to speak, keep our mouths shut, and be slow to anger. And show that love and care. That's how we are to respond as well. So, I've no idea what the timing means now because we've moved it here. But it's about time to land. So let's land. Let's do some response. How are we going to respond to this? How are we going to respond to this? Well, the first thing, I'd love you to keep learning the verse that we've been learning um, this, through this sermon series. Learn this, get it in your heart. Use it as a memory verse. We'll go old school, Sunday school. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So we're halfway through the verse this morning. Keep practicing that and we'll look at steadfast love and faithfulness in the coming weeks. But let me ask you a few questions. If you've got a pen, you want to jot these down, write these down, have a think about these this week. Can you see where God is being patient with others around you? Can you see where God is being patient? He's been patient with you. Can you see where he's being patient with others? Those you love who maybe don't know Jesus yet. Those you are in your family that you're praying for. Can you see the patience of God at work? Because he is giving them opportunity to respond. And this should motivate us to be thankful to God for that. That's an act of mercy and grace. But it's also motivated us to pray to love them, to serve them, to see them respond. But actually, can you see the patience of God with those around you? In your own life, where has the Lord been slow to anger with you? Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Where has God been slow to anger with you? Where are the areas in your life where you know God is poking you and pushing you and wooing you and calling you and saying, come to me, turn away from doing that. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Get involved with this. Do something or stop doing something. Do you know where those are? Where is he showing his patience with you? Maybe write that down so you don't forget and you can think about that. And the last one, where do you need to be slow to anger? What's the situation? Workmen coming onto sites when they're trying to run a church, Martin. Where's that, where's that thing where you need to be slow to anger? Who's that person that you need to be slow to anger with? Maybe there's small people in your house. Just a thought. Maybe it's the person who sleeps in your bed. Maybe it's the boss at work or someone you come across who rubs you up, a neighbour who keeps parking in front of your driveway. That's not me, by the way. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. 
where is that? Where do you need to show that? Because it says, know this, beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Amen? Do you want to stand up? Get the band up here. Let's pray. See, maybe we do a little bit of business, because you must all have things swimming around your head now. We'll pray, and then we'll worship the Lord, and then we'll close. Do you want to just stand up? Do you want to open your eyes? The key for us being patient with others is recognizing how God has been patient with us. Because once we've got that, the next thing flows out of it. If we just try and be patient for patience' sake, we get into legalism and it won't last. And we'll eventually be self-righteous Pharisees who Jesus had a few sharp words for. So we need to understand it for ourselves first and foremost. So let me just close your eyes, open your hand. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and remind us where God has been patient with us, where we've resisted him, where we have disobeyed him willfully, deliberately, not one of these kind of like, oh, accidents. No, we've, we know what we've done, and he has been patient with us. He has still used us. He's still called us. He's still spoken to us. He's still blessed us, still loved us. He's still been merciful and gracious to us. If you know what some of those situations are, if you know you haven't dealt with them, maybe you want to just take a moment now to get right with God. Repent of your sin. Put your faith and trust in you're coming towards a loving parent who wants you, wants to know you, wants to give time to you, wants to be in relationship with you. Lord God, we want to thank you that you are patient with us. Lord God, we want to thank you that you are slow to anger. Lord, that you give us time and time and time again to repent of our sin. Thank you for even this opportunity this morning, which is just another one where we can get right with you, where you've used it to call us to yourself and say, I can come and know you. Lord God, we ask you again, would you forgive us our sins? Would you cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? Would we be men and women who are full of the knowledge that you are a patient God, slow to anger? And would we then in turn show that to others? Lord God, those who are who upset us, who, who wrong us, who infuriate us, who just, yeah, push our buttons. Lord God, let us be men and women who are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, Lord God. God's people said...